Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 650 for the 7th of July, 2019. This week, for most of us, Windows 10 is Microsoft's best operating system, but that doesn't mean it can't be improved. Let's take a look at some of the ways that you can modify a few settings or learn a few new tricks that will make it even better. In short circuits, in a few days, Google will modify how photos and drive interact with each other. Changes made in one location will no longer be reflected in the other. That's the way it should have been all along, but the change will probably cause some confusion. Starting more than a year ago, Microsoft stopped making backups of the registry as a way to make the operating system consume less disk space. That decision might make you nervous. If so, there are two ways to fix it. In spare parts, only on the website, when the power goes out, a UPS unit can save the day, and good home units are available for less than $100. And small businesses and home businesses often fail to prepare for a cyber attack. If this describes you, consider a couple of points that are important for your financial survival. Does Windows 10 frustrate you? The safe assumption is that your answer will be in the affirmative, and certainly Windows has no shortage of frustrations. There are two approaches to dealing with these frustrations. Allow them to continue to annoy you, or fix them. I learned long ago that the better approach, at least for me, is to find a way to fix the problem. And even then, it's really a two-step approach within the two-step approach. When something frustrates me, but I know the frustration is one that I'm unlikely to encounter again, I consider it to be kind of a random frustration. If I encounter the frustration a second time, I grumble about it, and I probably refer to the computer with a series of uncomplimentary, yet highly descriptive adjectives. Third time? Well, then it's time to find a way to fix the problem, or to find an acceptable workaround. If I've encountered the same problem three times, I'm virtually certain that I'll continue to run into it. So, I can either become one of those grumpy people who profess nothing but hatred for Windows, Microsoft, and Bill Gates, or I can fix the problem, lower my blood pressure, and get on with life. If being annoyed frustrates you, and being frustrated annoys you, well, let's break out of that cycle and take a look at some of the problems I've found and eliminated over the years. And yes, some of these problems and solutions predate Windows 10. Consider virtual desktops. Okay, this is not a tip for everybody, and so far it really hasn't even been a tip for me, but it probably should be. Linux users have had virtual desktops for years, but I don't use the feature there either. It's enticing, though. Multiple monitors and virtual desktops seems like such a great idea particularly for those who use the computer for different kinds of tasks that require specific arrangements of applications. You can create a new virtual desktop for each of the scenarios that you operate in. Press the Windows key and the Tab key to open the task view, then click the plus button and create a new desktop. You can have as many as you want. They persist even if you log out or reboot, but they're also easy to delete. Or you could play God. 
God mode has been around for a while. Now, if you consider that to be blasphemous, you can name it anything you want. You can name it God mode or developer mode or guru mode or master of the universe mode, for that matter, whatever you want to call it. It will give you access to a vast array of settings. Most of these can be accessed in other ways, but this puts them all right there in one place. To create a link to God mode, right-click the desktop and choose New Folder. You can name the folder whatever you want, as long as it ends with a period followed by an open curly brace, ED7BA470-8354-465E-825C-9971204301C, and a curly brace at the end. And if you didn't catch all that, check the TechBiter Worldwide website. You can copy and paste. Spaces are okay in the text before the period, but everything after the period must be exactly as I just described it. When you double-click the new icon on your desktop, you'll be presented with dozens of options. Be careful, though, because making bad choices on some of these will not have a good outcome. As a friend once told me, a collision at sea can ruin your entire day. What does that have to do with computing? I don't know, it just sounded good. Maybe you'd want to fix the taskbar. I love the taskbar. It needs some modifications to suit the way I work, but it is command central for me. There are more than 100 icons on my taskbar. This requires small icons, which is not the default. It requires two levels, which is also not the default. It requires removing some items that appear by default and adding some items that don't appear by default. There is no best way to set up the taskbar, other than perhaps a best way for me and a best way for you. You have to figure out what that best way is. Right-click in a blank area of the taskbar and you'll see a lot of options. Toolbars, which is expandable. Search, which is expandable. Show or hide Cortana. Show or hide Task View. Show or hide People. Show or hide Ink. And show or hide the Touch Keyboard. There's an option to cascade, stack, or show windows side-by-side. Show the desktop, lock the taskbars, and taskbar settings. A lot of stuff there. The toolbars you'll see will depend on the applications you've installed. I turn off the Addresses, Links, MediaMonkey Player, and Desktop toolbars because I don't use them. I also hide the Search toolbar because it takes up too much valuable screen real estate. I also hide Cortana, People, Ink, and Touch Keyboard but I retain the task view option, even though I usually use the keyboard shortcut to get there. Once you have the various taskbars set the way you like them, using the lock function is a really good idea. The icon at the bottom of the menu, taskbar settings, is where the real power resides, though. This is where you can lock the taskbar, automatically hide the taskbar in tablet mode, use small buttons, enable or disable peak, replace the command prompt with PowerShell, choose the location of the taskbar, bottom, right, left, or top, choose to display the taskbar on all displays, and if you do that, which icons will display on the secondary monitors, and select icons that will appear in the notification area. So sometime when you're between tasks, take half an hour or so and investigate the settings. You might want to tell the notification area to shut up, by default, Windows wants to tell you when a calendar event is due, when an application wants to contact you, and when the cat walks into the room. Shouting shut up at the computer is ineffective, so it's time to use Focus Assist and fix the problem. Start in Settings and navigate to System, Focus Assist. I want Windows to just shut up most of the time, so I've set quiet hours to start at 12 a.m. or midnight, 
same thing, and continue until 11.59 p.m. And I've turned on all of the limitations. There are some applications I still want to hear from, so those can be selected from the Priority List section. If you have multiple computers, you're going to love the cloud clipboard. Doubtless, you already know that Control-C copies whatever you've selected, Control-X cuts it, and Control-V pastes anything that's been copied or cut. That works on only a single computer. But if you open Controls, Navigate to System, Clipboard, and then turn on Clipboard History and Sync Across Devices, you'll have a lot more flexibility. You'll still use Control-C to copy selections and Control-X to cut them, but now the Windows key plus V will display a list of all copied or cut selections so you can paste them at the current location of the cursor. And if Sync Across Devices is enabled, paste them where the cursor is on another device. To do this, you will need to be logged in on both computers with the same username and password. Take a look at your desktop. Some people keep nothing on the desktop. Others use the desktop as the start menu. If you're in that latter group and you keep a lot of application links on the desktop, maybe you'd like to be able to single-click those icons to open the application instead of having to click the icons twice. You won't find this option in Mouse Settings, though. Instead, start with the File Explorer, select the View tab, select Options, and then specify the single-click option. And while you're here, take a look at the Privacy section. By default, both recently used files and frequently used folders appear in Quick Access. I prefer to explicitly add the files and folders I want to Quick Access, so I turn both of those options off. For me, it's not a question of privacy, but one of unwanted clutter. Efficient computer users tend to keep their hands on the keyboard, not the mouse. And there are lots of easy ways to get to common controls using just the keyboard. The Windows key, that's the one with the little window symbol on it, opens the Start menu, of course. Everybody knows that. But the Windows key in conjunction with another key gives you quick access to a lot of powerful tools. For example, the Windows key plus X. Now that's my favorite one. You'll have a menu that offers access to apps and features, the Mobility Center, Power Options, the Event Viewer, System Settings, the Device Manager, Network Connections, Disk Management, Computer Management, PowerShell, both normal and as the Administrator, the Task Manager, Settings, File Explorer, Search, Run, Shutdown, Sign Out, Restart, and the Desktop. This is referred to as the Power Users menu for good reason. And although this is my favorite, there are several more. The Windows key plus A opens the Action Center. Windows key plus I opens Settings. That's, of course, the replacement for the control panel. Windows key plus R opens a command line from which you can run an application by typing in the name. Windows key and Tab toggles the task view. Windows key and the right arrow or left arrow moves the current active application to the right or left of the current screen then to the next screen if you have more than one. You'll want to just play with that one for a while and figure it out for yourself. It's easy to see what it does, a little harder to describe. There's the Windows key plus up and down arrows. That switches the current active application to full screen, normal, or hidden. That's another one that makes a lot more sense after you just play with it for a bit. And there are some chords. The Windows key, the Control key, and D creates a new virtual desktop. The Windows key plus Control and F4 closes the current virtual desktop. 
Windows key plus control plus left or right arrow navigates between virtual desktops. And Windows key plus S, that opens a search panel and a list of recent files and your most commonly used applications. Did you know you can scroll a window without clicking it? That's another feature that's not exactly new, but it's one that many people are unaware of. It's not uncommon for people to have several windows open simultaneously. If you're like me, that might be a lot of windows on multiple monitors. And if you're using one window for reference and a second window for work, it might be essential to scroll the reference window every now and then. Here's an example. Let's say I'm writing about a technical topic, something that happens more than occasionally, and I want to use Wikipedia or some other reference source to ensure that I'm not spreading fake news. I'll have Wikipedia open on one screen and an application such as UltraEdit open on another screen. If I need to scroll the Wikipedia article up or down, what do I do? Well, maybe you think I should click in the browser window and then use the mouse button to scroll the reference article. Well, that works, but it means that I lose focus from UltraEdit and the cursor position inside UltraEdit. For years, I wished I could just hover the mouse over the browser and scroll up or down. Well, you can do that. Open Settings, Devices, Mouse, and make sure that Scroll Inactive Windows when I hover over them is selected. Then you'll be able to scroll without stealing the focus from your primary application. There's a lot in the registry, too, and yes, editing the registry can be dangerous. However, if you're willing to proceed with caution and precisely follow directions, registry edits can make your computer do what you want it to do. The registry holds all of the customization settings. It's here that you can change settings to disable functions that Microsoft mistakenly thought would delight you. If you edit the registry, be sure that you have a backup copy and, as I said, proceed with caution. You'll need to open the registry editor by pressing the Windows key plus R, then type regedit, and press Enter. After accepting the user access control warning, you'll see the registry editor screen. Most of the changes you'll make will be in the local machine section, known as HKLM. By default, Windows boots without displaying a lot of information. You can turn on a verbose mode so that Windows will tell you what it's doing during the startup process. Navigate to Local Machine, Software, WOW 6432 node, Microsoft, Windows, Current Version, Policies, System. When you're there, create a new DWORD 32-bit key, call it Verbose Status, and set the value to 1. Now, when Windows starts or shuts down, you'll see some useful information. That is just one of hundreds or probably thousands of changes you can make by editing the registry. But whether you're willing to edit the registry or not, it's possible to make Windows 10 be the operating system you want it to be. As you make changes, keep notes that describe how you navigated to the location where you made the change, what you changed, and how. Do that, and you can reverse the modifications if you decide they aren't exactly what you want. And look around! Just about every tech writer in the world has written about improving Windows. Use your favorite search engine and enter a term like maybe Windows 10 Tips Tweaks, and you'll have links to dozens or probably hundreds of articles. There'll be a lot of repetition, of course, but individual authors have favorites that others may not have considered or even know about. Read through the suggestions, pick the ones that look promising, and there you go. Bob's your uncle.
in short circuits. Starting later this week, Google Photos and Google Drive will no longer automatically sync with each other. Google says the change is being made so that people can easily choose where photos and videos are stored across products. For most people, this will be a welcome, if perhaps somewhat confusing, change. Uploading or deleting photos in Google Drive or Google Photos won't be reflected in the other service, but you will still be able to copy photos and videos from Drive to Photos. All existing photos in either service will remain wherever they are, and items copied to Google Drive from Google Photos at original quality will count toward your storage limit. If you want to continue to sync images between Photos and Drive, open Google Photos Settings. There's a link to it on the TechBiter Worldwide website. If Google Drive is toggled on, Photos and Videos are currently syncing. After July 10th, changes you make in Drive will apply only to Drive, and changes you make in Photos will apply only to Photos. All Drives and folders that exist in either location will remain unchanged. Also, check the Google Drive settings to see if you use the Google Photos folder. Open Google Drive. There's a link to that on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Click the gear icon in the top right corner. Click Settings and scroll down to Create a Google Photos folder. If that setting is not enabled, Google recommends that you leave it that way. After the 10th of July, you'll be able to delete images from Google Drive without having the sync process also delete the files in Google Photos. And Google has some additional detailed instructions in an online help section. There is a link to that from the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. Computer started the week with a surprising report that said Microsoft has turned off registry backups in Windows 10 computers and considers it a feature, not a bug. The backup was eliminated starting with version 1803. In other words, this isn't exactly a new change, but Microsoft also hasn't exactly been forthcoming with announcements about the change, although there is a post on the support site. First, maybe we should think about the reasoning. Bleeping Computers article points to a Microsoft support post that explains the change is intended to help reduce the overall disk footprint size of Windows. To recover a system with a corrupt registry hive, Microsoft recommends that you use a system restore point. Microsoft even helpfully provides a screenshot that shows the contents of the Windows System32 config reg backup with useless zero-byte files. The trouble is, though, on my computer, that directory is empty. Constructively, there's no difference. A directory with no files is functionally equivalent to a directory with several empty files. But let's consider the logic here. Eliminating the registry backups will save some space. According to Microsoft, reduce the overall disk footprint size of Windows. Okay, that seems about as reasonable as omitting the spare tire from your car to save space in the trunk. And yes, I know there are some manufacturers doing exactly that and claiming it's for your convenience and not their profits. All right, the registry isn't small. On my primary computer, it's 610 megabytes. That's more than half a gigabyte. Saving space has become an issue as more new computers come with solid-state drives that are usually smaller than traditional mechanical drives. So instead of a 3 terabyte standard drive, maybe your new computer has just a half or quarter terabyte drive. 
Seriously, though, any manufacturer that doesn't provide at least an option for a one terabyte drive is doing the user a disservice. Now, let's say you have a one terabyte hard drive. Windows will consume 35 to 45 gigabytes. In my case, the program files and program files x86 directories consume 63 gigabytes. Yeah, I have a lot of installed programs. The C drive is just half a terabyte, 475 gigabytes, and about 174 gigabytes is shown as free space. So a registry backup would consume about three-tenths of one percent of the available space. That seems like a reasonable trade-off. But wait. I keep no data on the C drive, none at all. The D drive contains more than 10 years of digital photos, data, design graphics, and website development, 790 gigabytes. The E drive has more graphics, websites, technical documents, and some scanned images, 462 gigabytes. The F drive has music files, the Lightroom catalog, some miscellaneous sound files, and any audio files that are awaiting processing currently about 335 megabytes. The G drive has software downloads, some family videos, and the Audition scratch files, 506 gigabytes. Drive H has client videos, some training and educational files, and some specialized photo databases, 45 gigabytes. And finally, the I drive has the backup of documents, photos, and email from my wife's computer, a bunch of historical documents, and local copies of what's on my Google Drive and OneDrive, total of 2.4 terabytes. So clearly, I'd never be able to put all of this data on a single disk drive, and maybe that explains Microsoft's decision. And also, clearly, this is an example that is so over the top that it borders on being absurd. But a lot of people still have just the one disk drive that came with the computer, and even a one terabyte drive can begin to get a little too cozy as digital images and other files pile up. Still, the more logical step in my mind would be to add disk space to the computer, not remove the spare tire. But just how serious is this problem? Registry corruption is rare, but when it happens, it is a very serious event. It may be that bleeping computer went just a tiny bit overboard in sounding the alarm because registry corruption can usually be resolved by using a system restore point. Still, if you're uneasy about not having a registry backup, Microsoft explains how to create one manually or how to re-enable the automatic backups. Turning automatic registry backups on involves, you guessed it, a registry edit. It's also important to know that turning registry backups back on by adding a new key in the local machine hive might not make it a permanent fix. Microsoft says, and I quote here, the default Windows 10 behavior of having automatic registry backups disabled could be toggled on again after applying a new feature update. So you need to remember to check a couple of times a year. If you want to turn registry backups on using the registry, start in the local machine hive and drill down to System, Current Control Set, Control, Session Manager, Configuration Manager. The easiest way to get there after opening the registry editor is simply to copy and paste a line of text that I've included in this week's TechBiter Worldwide. Once you get there, create a new reg D-word entry called Enable Periodic Backup and set the value to 1. 
When you restart the computer, Windows will create a registry backup and will also generate a scheduled task to monitor the backups. A better option, in my opinion, might be simply to set a calendar entry as a reminder to manually back up the registry once a week or once a month, and then to remember to back up the registry after installing any new software or hardware. The process is easy, takes about a minute. Create a directory called Registry Backup or something like that, preferably on a drive other than the boot drive. Mine is on the iDrive. Start the registry editor. Click File, Export, then navigate to the directory where you want to store the backup. Fill in the file name. I use the current date. I think that's a pretty good procedure. And then make sure the export range is set to All. And finally, click Save. The process will usually be complete in 30 seconds to a minute. You'll find full details on the Microsoft Support page. There's a link to it from the TechBiter Worldwide website. And you might wonder, if you look at the image on the TechBiter Worldwide website this week, why I use a date format that is the four-digit year, a two-digit month, and a two-digit day. That format ensures that files can be sorted properly, and it's the format most commonly used internally by programs because 2019-07-02 will always appear before 2019-12-02, while if you use the standard U.S. form, which would be December 2, 2019, that date would always appear before July 2, 2019. I don't want that to happen. You can use any date format you want for spare parts, but only on the website. This week, when the power goes out, a UPS unit can save the day, and good home units are available for less than $100. And small businesses and home businesses often fail to prepare for a cyber attack. If this describes you, consider a couple of points that are important to your financial survival. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.